You are Locked On Mavericks, your daily podcast on the Dallas Mavericks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome into Locked On Mavericks for November 16th, 2016. Uh, Mavericks taking on the Boston Celtics tonight after a pretty disappointing loss to the Knicks. On Monday night, I'm Jake Kemp. You can follow me at Not Jack Kemp. He's Mike Marshall at Machine Sports, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We've got uh, pretty much a podcast for your favorite team, for every fantasy subject. The Cowboys obviously have one that's probably doing um, Scarface numbers right now. <laughs> Uh, I would imagine. So, hot in the yeah, streets. Yeah, these are uh, there's a nice little post game show esque radio segment size podcast. Just uh, easily to consume. You do it on your lunch break. Do it uh, when you're in the john. I don't care. Um, just don't tell me about it. Just give me your downloads. <laughs> That's right. Just rate, people. review, subscribe on iTunes. <laughs> walk your dog and listen to us dis- discuss. Um, is there anyone on this team currently that we want in 2018 besides Harrison Barnes? <laughs> Um, so that'll be a, a, I'm pretty sure an ongoing topic. One thing that we do need to let you know about uh, as part of the Lockdown Network is Nate Duncan, of course, uh, mm-hmm. NBA Intelligentsia, and Danny LaRue. They're hosting a show on Twitter live tonight. So I think this is becoming, this is kind of the new hotness. And much like with podcasts, I was ahead of the curve on this too, uh, as I was doing this exact same sort of thing three years ago for Cowboy Games. But because I wasn't as good at it as anybody else, ultimately my ideas will be viewed as uh, as forgotten. They won't be viewed at all, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Fragile. everyone has a podcast now. Um you know, whatever. I should probably leave all that out. The point is that Nate Duncan and Danny LaRue <laughs> from the Dunked On podcast and Locked On Warriors, they're doing a live stream halftime at, War- at halftime of Warriors, Raptors, and uh, Clippers, Grizzlies. So if you're into, you know, the fact is is that most of the play-by, not most of the play-by-play, actually, you know what? I'm just going to say it. Uh, David Locke is like one of the best, and so is Followell at giving you some advanced stats, some play breakdowns, the communicating with the fan in a way that, you can kind of learn something about the game, but the reality is, is that's not all that common. Uh, most guys are just kind of feeding you the top feeding. It's not all that interesting, if I'm just being honest. It's a little bit of smiling, smiling, and that's dancing. Right. So if you want some for eighty percent of the if game, if you want advanced stats, play by play breakdowns, some salary cap talk from uh, from an NBA studio type yeah. halftime show, they're going to do that, and they'll uh, they'll do it at the halftime of Warriors Raptors. And uh, then they'll do post-game shows as well. So click on the video that either one of those guys tweet out. If you're into the NBA, you're probably following Nate Duncan. Um, and if you're not, you should be. So that is that. Uh, Mavericks mm-hmm. and Celtics. The Celtics uh, going through it a little bit. I, uh, I have this um, sort of this sensor in my brain for Bob is about to say somebody is overrated, which is basically any <laughs> basically anytime um, we're all like what anytime we're all excited by uh, a sports entity and they're like really good yeah. coming out. Um, I don't know why, but it's kind of his re- ref- uh, immediate. Even if he participates in the hype, he's like tries to be the first one to be like, "Oh, what do we really know about this guy?" So I'm just putting out the warning that we're not that far away from saying from Bob. And many people like Bob saying that Brad Stevens is an overrated coach. 
because oh, no if he, he he was if people say he was really good early um then he has to be if if they his team comes out to a five and fights five start which they have even though they've been without Crowder even though they've been without Horford uh and even though their talent level is not really that great it's good and it's young and getting better but I'm just putting out the warning that that's probably that's coming the backlash yeah no, after maybe, you know, they're not going to win a title this year most likely with uh, what you look at coming down the road. And then next year, who knows? But, yeah, people are going to keep uh, saying Brad Stevens is a top-five coach in the NBA, and the retort is going to be, well, yeah, because he's won all those titles. Yeah, exactly. Um, I love and it. That's, that's, and that's I ridiculous. And that's ridiculous. No, that's, what we, that's how we uh, have to do it. Yeah, exactly. It's binary thinking. You either did it or you didn't. Um, and there's no in between. There's no um, acknowledgement that the Celtics, even without two of their best, what, like three players overall in Jay Crowder and Al Horford, that they are still one of the best offenses in basketball somehow. Um, they're seventh in points per, per game, points per game, if you like that overall number, 11th in pace, um, 100 possessions a game, second in overall half-court offense. And the only player that you would look at and go – that guy has something that no one else in the league has is Isaiah Thomas. Right. He's been um, banged up a little somehow, bit himself. He has. And I watched all of uh, their Pelicans game the other night. I think it was uh, Monday night because I had to work it. I was editing the postgame show. Um, and their offense is a little bit it's, – it's kind of frantic because there's so many guards out there. But it freaking works. And Brad Stevens draws up some incredible plays. And he's making a lot out of uh, very little um, – considering the fact that they get destroyed on the boards um, right now. So he's trying to circumvent this whole thing in basketball called rebounding um, and make a good offense out of it, and he's been able to do that. Um, overall, do you want some of the uh, – Well, yeah, stats? I was just going to say that the, the stat about them getting killed on the boards and still being good on offense is interesting mm-hmm. because the exact same thing happened is at least – uh, for one season last year with the Hawks, which is interesting, mm-hmm. obviously, because Horford was with the Hawks last year. Yeah. And even if you're not playing Horford, if he's only played in three games of the 10, then you're starting Olenek. And Olenek and Horford, although not in the same stratosphere talent-wise, are actually similar types of players. So I, I can mm-hmm. tell you that if you want to start a guy like Olenek or a guy like Horford or even... Well, I'd probably stop short of Tyler Zeller. If you want to start Olenek or you want to start Horford at center, you're going to get beat up on the glass. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And without a legit um, big in the form of Jay Crowder or Al Horford um, for, what, seven their last seven games, uh, they're still like a top three team in pick-and-roll ball handler points per possession. They're third. Um, they're top ten with the roll man as well in points per possession. Now, you worry about quantity how often they're running and things like that but they're still really good at pick and roll without their two biggest roll guys um their uh their most frequent play what they're trying to create and all their kind of frantic movement with their three guard lineup which is going to be avery bradley uh it isaiah thomas and marcus smart for a lot of the time is uh they're trying to run a pick and roll strong side with isaiah thomas to get somebody open for a spot up on the weak side. And Isaiah Thomas is one of the best pick and roll ball handlers at getting the basket and creating his own shot. 
and he's also one of the best at getting people open for spot-ups. They do it 24.5% of the time, and it seems so simple. It's just like stop one of them and the other one doesn't mm-hmm. happen, but that's what happens when there are supremely talented athletes on the court. You like It's like J.J. Bray in the pick-and-roll. It's like, oh, just hedge him and stretch him to the sideline. Well, yeah, he's, gonna, he's made a career of not letting you do that. Um, so they shoot spot-ups. Their offense is based on spot-ups more than any other team in the league. Uh, and they're fourth in points per possession off spot-ups. Uh, Avery Bradley has basically become the best spot-up shooter in basketball. Yeah, that's, his numbers are ridiculous this year. Yeah. And uh, Isaiah Thomas is top five as a pick-and-roll ball handler in terms of points per possession. And in, in limited possessions, Marcus Smart has been excellent as a pick-and-roll ball handler. So if you can just do that well and you have a guy that can knock down the shots and you can create that scramble drill on defense – Everything else is going to be fine, even if you're missing Crowder and Horford. What's getting them killed, obviously, is the rebounding on the other end of the court. But um, Isaiah Thomas is off the charts in isolation, but he doesn't do it that often. Um, They're eighth in uh, three-point percentage, and they take the seventh most uh, threes a game at 30 a game. And if you're a Mavericks fan, that worries you just a touch because the Mavs are allowing a 41% from three. Jeez. 41 that you you can you can overcome a lot of stuff. You cannot overcome getting nuked from three every single night. Yeah, and I think part of that has to be that for all of his warts, D. Will is a superior defender to Berea. It's not even close. Um, then yeah. even for all his warts, Devin Harris is a better defender than Seth Curry and Berea. Although mm-hmm. that's really only when he's healthy, and I'm not really sure if we're ever having that conversation again. So that's right. part of it, the, the fact that you're, yeah. you're playing. And then from there, um, you're just – those guys are getting broken down. They overhelp from the wings, and then someone is open. So yep. it's not even so much that the Barnes or that Finney Smith or that uh, J.A. can't cover their man on the wing. It's that they're helping they're, – they're way overhelping on pick and rolls because they have to because Bray yep. is getting smashed, and then they're giving up – a ton of it feels like anyways, a bunch of like hockey assist type plays. Yeah, for sure. Just simple, simple swing, um, flip the, flip the court type plays. And you might be asking yourself like, how are they five and five? If they have, um, you know, one of the best schemes and they knock down, you can't stop their pick and roll, the ball handler in the pick and roll. And you also can't, uh, stop, stop them whenever they get a spot up shot. Well, without Jay Crowder and without Al Horford, who I think you would probably throw in, I don't know, top 10, top 15 defensive players in the league, somewhere around there. Like, those guys will challenge. They'll, be, they'll get votes for defensive players of the league in, in, in most years. They're bad defensively without their two best defensive players, as you might imagine. They allow 108 overall, if you're into the, the, uh, the totals, sixth worst in uh, defensive rating, 25th in overall half-court defense, um, and what they get destroyed at is second chance points, 17 second chance points to their opponents, uh, on a nightly basis, which is worse than the league, obviously related to the rebounding. Exactly. Awful at defending the pick and roll roll, man. They're 24th in the league, awful at defending isolation, 28th in the league. And, uh, as I mentioned a second ago, that leads you to being awful on offensive putbacks, which is 29th in the league on putbacks. And some for some reason, Avery Bradley is really bad at defending the pick-and-roll ball handler. Like, I always think of him as kind of a savvy guy, 
that can pick your pocket and uh, create offense real quick just by picking you. But I think they designed design their entire offense around – or their entire defense, I'm, I'm sorry, around Jay Crowder defending the pick-and-roll ball handler, um, him being the, the fulcrum in that, and he's not in there. And so you're asking somebody that's not accustomed to that role. And, you know, he, Jay, Avery Bradley's not a huge dude. Um, he's not going to – necessarily chase you down, block you uh, if you get into a foot race and a pick-and-roll action or anything like that. But their defense is based around Jay Crowder being able to stretch people and being strong enough and quick enough to stretch the pick-and-roll horizontally, and he's not there, and it all kind of falls apart. Um, and the rebounding is just really tough to overcome, man. Yeah, It's really stinking cuff, tough to overcome being the second-worst uh, rebounding team in basketball right now. But – all that with a grain of salt, their two best players are out. <laughs> yeah, and I think they'll probably pull it together. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I've always been intrigued by the room, the boogie rumors for them because I just think that would work. Right. Just throw him in the center of that thing, and it would work so well. But I still mm-hmm. think they can probably get by against most teams if uh, going as small as they do, as long as that their wings are healthy and that a yeah. guy like uh, you know with with Horford playing. I mean. I really have been – you can't say enough about how far Jay Crowder has come as a player. I mean, he's their second-best three-point yeah. shooter behind a guy who is lighting the league on fire in uh, in Bradley. Mm-hmm. And really, Crowder might be their best three-point – he's their best three-point shooter by percentage, and he's only making one yeah. less per game than Bradley. So he is the best three-point shooter on a pretty good three-point shooting team. Yeah, dude, it's it's absolutely bizarre. Um, and he's been – I think he was almost as good as Bradley on spot-ups, if I can scroll down here and find it. But uh, I don't know if I mentioned or not, what what makes them, like, um, from good to elite right now on offense is that they're one of the – they might be the best team in basketball sharing the basketball. They don't turn it over. Um, they are top four in assist-to-turnover ratio – top four in assist percentage, and in top four in assist per 100. And what that tells me is this is not a fluke, um, and this is not going to be rattled whenever Horford and Jay Crowder come back. Right. It's, it's not isolation-based offense. It's, it's ball movement offense. And here's uh, – so Crowder on spot-ups. Back to your point, I'm sorry. 17 possessions in his, what, three games that he played. 23 points. 1.353 points per spot-up attempt. That is the 93rd percentile uh, rated as excellent is the adjective. <laughs> then Synergy, Synergy chooses to throw at it. So he's just been – being able to build your defense around one dude, uh, defending the most common play in basketball very well, and then have him giving you something plus on the other end. Dude, such a luxury. Yeah, well, we'll get to uh, the juxtaposition of that in a minute. But uh, passes made, they're second in the NBA – Secondary assists, which mm-hmm. we just mentioned, they're fourth in the NBA, of course, behind teams like the only teams that are behind are Golden State, Atlanta, and Charlotte, which, you know, they play very similar styles. The Mavericks, by the way, are third lowest in uh, secondary <laughs> assists, and they've actually fallen out of the top 10 in passes made per game, which they were always one of the teams that moved the ball uh, just about as much or more than anybody. So, our second topic, as you mentioned, the idea of someone who is a lockdown defender who can switch and defend the pick and roll and can also get his own offense by spot-up shooting and then he's hitting. There's no way Jay Crowder will finish north of 45% from three, but he'll finish north of 40. Um, and mm-hmm. that is basically what you're looking for from Wes. And right. it is just not even close. Jay Crowder is so superior to Wes Matthews 
while making, and I guess, you know, it's not always about the money because he was signed. Was it the same offseason? I think it was, man. Yeah, because it, um, it was Rondo trade uh, sent him there, and then he was up uh, at the end of that um, year. His rookie deal ran out because he's a second-round pick. They didn't have another option on him. And, yeah, the Mavericks said bye to Rondo, and they said uh, – Tried to basically <laughs> said hello to DeAndre Jordan and Wes Matthews. So yeah, they they, um, they obviously. So he played one year, half a year with Parsons, mm-hmm. which probably yeah. limited him somewhat. I mean, if you look at just the year that he got traded, um, speaking of Crowder again, in that year twenty five games with the Mavericks, he averaged ten and a half minutes a night, and his remaining fifty seven games with Boston, he started seventeen and played twenty four a night. So they mm-hmm. immediately started trying to figure out what they had with him. And it worked, and it worked yep. because that off season yeah. they were able to get him on what now looks like just an unbelievable steal, and it's under ten. A it's year, like seven, right? and then they uh, they basically he got the same deal that uh, that Al Farouk Aminu got, or pretty close to it. Yeah, let me look. It's five for thirty five. Thirty five, seven. Yeah, I think Farouk got what four for forty. He got a touch above that, and I'll take Jay over Farouk four for right 30. now. And yeah, so pretty similar deals for guys who play pretty similar types of game. Um, and both guys mm. that the Mavericks decided that they wanted to try to put the ball in Parsons' hands. Um, and, and I would still say that if you're just looking for a guy who can create his own offense and be like, I still would take Parsons offensively. It's obviously, I mean, even though Crowder's mm-hmm. a better shooter, but as far as their overall game. I think I'm taking Jay Crowder over Chandler Parsons, Al Farouk Aminu, Wes Matthews, uh, pretty much everybody involved in this conversation outside of maybe Harrison Barnes. Like as we're just going through all the wings that we've had in and out of here that are now fairly successful with other teams, and the one guy that they kept is not. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that to me is being able to – the luxuries that he affords you on the defensive end – and just being a competent guy that people have to close out on on the offensive end and what that does for you. all the It opens up, you know, not necessarily like a playbook, um, like you would say in football, where you, if, you can, if you can establish a run, it opens up this playbook. Well, if you can defend the pick-and-roll roll, uh, ball handler um, with a, you know, whatever he is, 6'6", six, six, um, power, or power forward body, basically, that can move quick enough to do that, that allows you to do so many other things defensively. Yeah. And they're going to be good. Boston's going to be really stinking good when Crowder and Horford come back um, because of the ball movement, because they're going to crank it up on the rebounds, uh, and they're going to crank it up defensively. And both those dudes are – that's their skill set. They fit right in there. They they are the elixir for what's bothering the Celtics right now. But um, I guess we can get back yeah, to Yeah, I mean, Sorry, it's, a, it's so a pretty <laughs> much a uh, continuing conversation that we'll have over the next few weeks and months and then eventually into the offseason because um, he's playing so poorly, he has no trade value. There's a lot of talk yep. that the CBA won't have an amnesty clause, uh, the next one. Mm-hmm. So they're in a really bad spot. And it's I, I really have gone back and forth on this because – and I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but when they signed him to that deal, I didn't think it was bad at all because we all knew that three of those four years were going to be under a much, much higher cap. But at some point, it's no longer about the cap. It's kind of like with Derek Holland, where it's like, okay, that's a pretty good deal, but you're taking mm-hmm. someone else's minutes. And at that at this point, that's yeah. what Wes is now doing. 
The only hope I could see for him is that you play him at the three and you're able to somehow hit in free agency, uh, or I guess via trade, although I'd much rather draft a... I'd much rather either draft a point guard or trade for a center than I would a two. But you have to somehow hope that you end up with a guy who can play off the bounce, who can play the two, and that you can slide Matthews to the three and not you know overexpose him. That is like the only scenario in which I can see him having a successful remaining two and a half years as part of this team. Yeah, and there's like these you, – you mentioned it uh, in the beginning of your statement there. There's these tears of disappointment. Um, and I don't mean like tears from your eyes. I mean like food pyramid tears of, okay, he's not playing up to his contract. Okay, he's taking somebody else's minutes. Okay, he probably needs to be amnestied. Okay, I have no trust in this player. Um, and we've gotten to that point. We've gotten to the very bottom where it's not even about the contract. It's not even about the guy personally. It's about could I get a better player in those minutes? Yeah. Um, however, and it how does he be. fit with what we're doing? You know, and and, and if he doesn't, yeah. then you've got to you got to they're going to have to get creative on this. But I think that much like in to quote today's NBA, Barnes is better at the four. I think that Matthews can be a mm. three. I don't. I think that your two has to be able to get to the rim, and it, yep. you can't have a two and a three and a one that don't get to the rim at all. Um, and if you mm. now start considering Barnes a four, his ability to get to the rim is actually a plus. Like, but, yeah. and you know, another thing that we haven't even talked about is Isaiah Thomas wanted to play for the Mavericks. Um, I read an interview yeah. in that offseason, and that deal's phenomenal now as well. Um, and is that the Phoenix offseason? Yes. When he, when he signed with the Suns? Uh, no. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. The Leaving the Kings to the Suns. Um, mm. That offseason, but I think it would have required them to play him with Monte for a year, which obviously would have been tough. You know, that would have been that yeah. would have been a weird spot for him to be in. But I think I would have just tried it. Um, they yeah. might have gotten beat up defensively, but I think they could have gotten creative with their minutes. And now that's a guy who, if, if he was on this team right now, you could play him uh, with you could play him with D Will if you wanted. I mean, they're playing three think, basically point guards right now, and with all different skill sets. Why couldn't we have pulled something like that off? They would be—you'd have so much of a better shot if Matthews was at the three, and now you know a guy like It is at the one or the two with D Will or even Beret out there. I mean, you'd be bad in your backcourt defensively, but you could make up for that a little bit on the wing. Yeah, I think if the timing's right, that might have been coming off the fifty-win season. Um, and you know how ultra conservative they'll get um, in those type of seasons. So it, I, I wanted Isaiah Thomas here. I watched him quite a bit when he was with the Kings, and he scorched us a couple times um, early on in his career. And I just never thought that was going to happen because I know how they get they they bunker down whenever they're coming off a good season. But you could make it work. There's no doubt that this team would be better um, with a. Uh, an elite pick-and-roll ball handler um, in the starting unit and one that can score. I mean, he's better than – he's obviously better than Berea. He's obviously better at attacking than Berea. He's obviously better as a pick-and-roll ball handler than Berea. Um, so you just stack that on top of the skill set. It seems redundant, but it's the play that is run most often in the league. It's like having a – like it's like stacking redundant wide receivers together that get open deep. Yeah. 
Like that's that's totally fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I, they could have figured it out. Yeah, they definitely could have. Absolutely. Um, so, Wes has two years after this year, right? At the same same dollar, I think, seventeen five. Um, let me pull that up just to make sure it's not like no, it's, escalating it's raises. It's a minimal escalation. Is it? Um, I think I did the math last week, and if... I, Dirk's going to opt out of his contracts, his player option, whether it be bye-bye forever or, uh, you know, he's going to feel guilty because he missed 20 games this season and not take $25 million next year. Um, and I I just need the CBA to get done, honestly. So I can start I can start wheeling and dealing on my, my, on my ideas and they can uh, become concrete because if there's not an amnesty, like – I, I I don't have an answer for the West Matthews situation. I you can't I, two second round picks from a good team maybe, um, but then you have to match salaries with a guy that's going to be making seventeen point eight next year. I, there's no solution to me except for him playing seventy percent of his former self, which he's not right now. Yeah, not even close. So that's one to keep up with, but. I I'm I'm almost to the point where I'm turning a corner to where I don't believe that he's ever going to be like a legit option at the two. Yeah, I don't. So either. I'm like I said, it's either play him at the three or he's you know he's on another team. Yeah, yep. And yep. I don't know that you, do, you um, very rarely see somebody just eat money. Oh, and yeah. I don't know that that that's very you, rare. You'd probably rather just bring him off the bench. Like if they do away with the amnesty clause, they're not just going to eat seventeen mil a year and just have him play for another team. That's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. As frustrating as it is, yeah. I just I can't see them doing that. That that yeah, no, they got they got a trailer <laughs> hitched to their offensive system yeah. right now, and it's it's locked in there. Like I don't know what you do about it. Well, but let's see how he can. Uh, yeah, let's let's try to keep him under forty percent, and uh, I don't know. Like I'm going to say. Let's try to. Keep, are you guessing box? What, West Matthews? No, box no, score no. Guessing? I'm guessing Celtics. I'm, I'm betting they hit oh, okay. 15 threes tonight. How about that? They're going to shoot more than 30, I think. I bet you they're going to shoot. I'm going to guess 32 threes. And I'm going to say, what are they hitting? They're hitting 37%. I'm going to say they hit 14 of 32, whatever that is. That's um, like 45, those, I think. 40, 40, 40, yeah, 43, 44. Yeah, somewhere in there. I'm going to say they they destroy the Mavericks because you would think the Mavericks could take advantage of their defense, but I also saw the Mavs just play the Knicks. Let me go let me go 15 <laughs> so, of 45. I think they're going to I think oh, they're going to wow. launch 45 on us. Jeez. Yeah. And wow. uh, cuz Crowder's not going to be back though, right? So that might mitigate no. it a little bit as far as a guy who will take five or six a game on you, but someone else will fill that up. Look for Kelly yeah, Olynyk to hit a couple uh, threes tonight. <laughs> and drive me insane. <laughs> Um, yeah, Crowder's out with the ankle and Horford concussed. Fully practiced. Yeah, practiced yesterday, but talked like a guy that was had zero interest in playing basketball quite yeah. yet. So uh, six thirty tonight. Right, let's do this on Fox. All right, See you thanks, tomorrow. man.